It's, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Um, hey, welcome. We're, we're glad you're here. And um, uh, if I haven't met you yet, I would love to. I hang out in the, after the service right over here in the lobby. You'll just see me walking around. Come up, say hi if, if you're new or you just, it's been a while and we haven't met. I would love to, to say hi. Uh, we, we're starting a brand new series brand new series in the Ten Commandments. We just last week uh, finished our series, When God is Silent. Um, and if uh, it, we talked about, what do we do? What do you do when God is silent in life? What do you do when it feels like he doesn't care? What do you, what do, you do when it feels like he's, he's just not answering prayers? And so we spent four weeks looking at what, like, what, what it could be and what our role should be. And, and, um, and those are all online. If you wanted to get caught up and, and watch those, you certainly can. Um, and today we start a new series. And, and we're, kind of, um, we're kind of, it's almost feeling like the pendulum is swinging the other way. So we went from when, when God is not speaking, when you can't hear him, to now the Ten Commandments is, I mean, God literally audibly speaks these. And, and he's saying, this is what I want. And so we're going to spend, um, we're going to break this up into two parts, really. So it's 10, 10, 10 weeks, so, so to speak, right? There's 10 commandments, so we'll do uh, one commandment a week, but we're doing four here. We're going to go through a, a, a study in the summer, which I'm really looking forward to, and then we're going to wrap up kind of the final six um, 10 commandments uh, in, in the fall, um, because there's a, there's a theme between these. The, the, the first four and the last six um, they all relate and all, it all makes sense and it all intertwines with another thing that we'll be talking about today that I think will be familiar if you've been following along with us, will be familiar to us. And so we're gonna, um, we're gonna talk about that as well. So this, this first, uh, uh, the first of the 10 commandments um, is, um, is the one that sets up the rest. So a little bit about the 10 commandments. We probably know, like I'm gonna guess, and I think this will be kind of a fair guess here, that if you've been in church for any amount of time, maybe you've been you know, a Christian for a while and you've been going to church and it's kind of been your, you, kind of your habit, your thing, you've probably heard sermons or an entire series on the Ten Commandments, right? It's probably not new to you, this idea that there are, that there are 10 specific commandments that seem to be kind of more important or at least, at least a, a, kind of a, a higher, high, higher elevated than, than the rest, but, but I'm also going to guess, like, the, the angle we're approaching this from is a little different. So we're not going over necessarily what the Ten Commandments are and why you should do them and why they're important. And plenty of people have. What we're looking at is kind of the, the underneath that, like the layer underneath the commandment to say, but what does this commandment tell us about God? And how does this commandment reveal to us some of God's character and God's heart. Why is it of anything God could ask or command or want for his people, why do you pick these? Why do you pick these 10? What is it about these 10 that are, that are legitimately, literally closer to God's heart and concern than the rest? There are 613 laws or commandments in the Old Testament, and these 10 move to the top. So what is it about God that, 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 that these show us like insight into who he is and, and to why he cares so much? So as we go through this series, what we'll be looking at is the commandment, but also what does this teach us about him? How can we get to know him more through each of these commandments. This first one is, um, uh, is about worship. There's a, a non-Christian novelist um, uh, who, who uh, famously said this. 
Um, and this was shortly actually before he took his own life. His name was David Foster Wallace, uh, not a believer at all. And here's what he says, okay? This is a non-Christian. Here's what he says. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. This was not a religious guy. This was not someone who had a church, like was, was, uh, was into church. He speaks this at, um, at a kind of a commencement speech at, um, at a, a graduation to the shock of many, but also became one of a, a very memorable one because um, he goes on to talk about why this happens, that everyone worships, including himself, not as a Christian. The question we're gonna be dealing with today is worship, but, but if, from God's perspective, it's, it, this first commandment almost feels like, like, oh, we can just skip this over. So a little background, a little context in the, to the, the Ten Commandments. So um, if, uh, if you recall, there is, um, in the Exodus, there is a time where Moses frees his people. There's been movies about this, right, and, and, uh, and shows and, and all kinds of and books written about the Exodus, about God freeing his chosen people, the Israelites, out of the land of Egypt, out of Pharaoh's authority and control, right? Right, right, uh, Pharaoh, let my people go. The whole Moses thing, right? There's movies about this and, 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 and they keep remaking them and they seem to be getting like worse and worse and worse every time they remake one. Uh, but but uh, like, it's like a thing in culture, like, oh, this is a big moment. Okay, that has happened. Now, God's people, these Israelites, are now sort of on their own for the first time ever in their life. In fact, the first time in their parents' life and in their parents' 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 life. Hundreds of years, they've been enslaved and in control, being controlled by by, uh, the Egyptians and Pharaoh. And now they're free and they don't know what to do. They've never been free. They've never, they've literally never had the opportunity or even the training on how to make a decision how to decide where to go or what to do or when we should be where because they were dictated their entire lives. Here's where you'll work. Here's where you'll go. Here's what you'll do. Here's when you'll wake up. Here's when you'll go to sleep. And now they're free. So they've been spending about three months at the base of Mount Sinai, this mountain, this mountain in kind of this, the peninsula there. And, and they're just waiting. And all they know to do is to listen to whoever's in charge. And it just so happens that another guy is in charge and, and his name is Moses. And, and if, you, if you're gonna have a guy in charge, Moses is the guy, right? Moses is the guy. So they're listening to him, whatever he says. Whatever you say, man, whatever you say goes. Three months now, they've been kind of camping out, just waiting, just living life, but also trying to figure this out. And they don't have a society. They don't have a governance structure of any kind. They don't have systems. There's no voting. There's no, there's no um, elected officials. There's nothing. There's no laws. There's no rules. There's literally nothing. They're creating a new culture and society and a new nation. It's here we find ourselves that Moses goes up to Mount Sinai and he gets the Ten Commandments. He gets all of these commandments, but these ten are special and they're different because they're dictated like an audible voice from God and he actually like carves them in the stone, these tablets. God does it. The rest Moses has to kind of write down and dictate. These ten, God does. These are the ten, right? These are a big deal. So these ten then 
are elevated much more than sort of the rest of the laws, kind of the Old Testament, and, and for good reason. It's here we find the first commandment, the first one, right out the gate. Here it is, commandment number one. You shall have no other gods before me. This is the beginning of Hebrew society, post-Egypt. And what they're experiencing now is a society with new rules. Think of the Ten Commandments as their sort of declaration of independence. This is kind of the first document, so to speak, literally written on tablets to, to say this is now what makes us unique and different and makes us our own people. These Ten Commandments. These are a big deal. Here's what it says, Exodus chapter 20, verse two. God is speaking to Moses and he says, this is, these are the 10 commandments I'm gonna give my people. He starts by, by saying this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He says two things. First, I am the Lord. And anytime you see Lord in all caps, L-O-R-D, um, it doesn't just mean like Lord, like when you think of, oh, yes, Lord, like whatever. It doesn't mean that. It's actually God's proper name. The, the word in Hebrew, we think, is best pronounced Yahweh. It's four Hebrew letters. It's called the Tetragrammaton. Okay, did you write that down? All right. There will be a quiz later, right? It's the very specific name that God gives. It's when Moses says, like, he says, hey, I want you to go. God says, I want you to go talk to Pharaoh. And he's like, okay, but they're not gonna believe me because I'm just a guy. Who should I say sent me? And, and God himself says, tell them Yahweh sent you, which literally means I am or I exist or I am the one who is or I am to be. So he says, tell them, essentially, tell them existence sent you. It's like, okay, that." is a cool name. <laughs> that name is Yahweh. And whenever it's written in the Bible is capital L-O-D-R, that's the name. So this is, so God himself is saying, I am Yahweh, your God. That's my name. Remember who I am and remember what I've done for you. I brought you. I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt, the land of slavery. So this is my name and I did this for you. You are my people. Now, let me tell you how you're gonna live. Verse three, here it is. You shall have no other gods before me. First commandment, right out the gate. Now we read this and we say, okay, that's fair, next. Because we think I don't have any like gods or false gods. I don't have any like idols set up in my home to worship. This isn't, this really doesn't apply to me at all. Let's go to the next one. And, and man, listen, it would be so, so wrong, so easy, but so wrong to do that. Because this command, this one is the one that sets the foundation for the rest. This is the first one for a reason. Like when we think of like um, our constitution and we have, uh, we have these things called amendments, right? We have the first amendment, second amendment, all the way through. Okay, there's a, like the reason they're in that order is because they're foundational. The first amendment sets up like one of the most prized kind of like factors of our society and that is freedom. And, and it's it, like, you take that away and the rest almost like they kind of, like a house of cards, it all falls. Like it's, it's set up on freedom. Okay, this first commandment sets up the rest of the commandments. This is that important. One pastor says this, idolatry is not about worshiping a statue or an image, but it's giving supreme value or importance to anything other than God. 
Arthur Pink, a, a famed commentary writer, he says this, idolatry is the sin of valuing anything more than God. Oswald Chambers says this, idolatry is the worship of self for it exalts our desires and preferences above the will of God. Tim Keller, maybe one of my favorite kind of like, like, like current kind of pastors, commentators, thought leaders in the Christian community, he says this, idolatry is an attempt to find security and happiness in something other than God. It's not about idols, like creating these little figurines that we worship, but putting anything in the place that God is or should be. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he says this, idolatry is the transformation of something into a God that is not God. Matt Chandler, another kind of current day um, uh, pastor commentator, he writes this, idolatry is loving anything more than God and thinking that it can satisfy us more than God. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, he says this, idolatry is the spiritual adultery of the heart. And then Sinclair Ferguson, he writes this, idolatry is not merely a sin. It is the sin. It's not one of many, it's the sin. It's the one essentially that all the others flow out of. This is not about a figure or a statue. This is so much more. So what is it? What is it that makes it so bad that God literally makes this the first of the Ten Commandments? Here we go. Ready? First thing that we can say about specifically worshiping anything or anyone other than God. Worshiping a false god is an attempt to avoid the big question. It's a distraction. It's an intentional distraction we set up for ourselves. And here's the big question. Ready? Is God real. It's our ability and it's our desire to, to kind of neglect even, even thinking about the existence of God by just simply devoting ourselves to something, anything else. So instead, instead what we do, we create these little, these little uh, we call them little saviors, that things that we think are going to save us that we are gonna worship in place of him because, listen, this, and this is true. If we really, if we really do wanna worship and submit to Yahweh himself, to God, to the God, the real God, it comes with certain expectations that he has on us and certain life change in us. They're like, all right, if I'm gonna do this, I'm committing to him and, and I'm committing to what that means, to what it means to follow God, to have that lifestyle, what that looks like. And it comes with all kinds all kinds of wonderful benefits and rewards and enjoyment, but there is a lifestyle that is attached to it. I don't want that, but I really want the benefit of devoting my life to something. So what we do, instead of having to, to, to kind of change my life to fit what this looks like, I'll worship this thing. And here's the cool thing about this. Ready, guys? I get to make this thing whatever I want it to be. Whatever I want it to be. In any image I want I can worship whatever it is, music or art or people or possessions or, uh, or a job, a career, uh, whatever I want, whatever I want to value in my life, I get to choose. That's pretty appealing. That's why this is a big deal because it distracts us and makes us think that I'm living for joy and goodness and what I want and, and, and it's my fulfillment. And what I'm doing is I'm ignoring the real question of, but is there really a God? Because if there is, listen, if there is a God, 
we should probably get to know something about him. If there is a God, there might be some things he wants from us, and there might be consequences for not following him. I should probably try to find those. I should try to figure this out. Instead, what we do is we set up things for ourselves to circumvent God and instill kind of get the, the benefits of still being able to worship something we create. Psalm 115, verse four, it says this. But their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but, but they cannot feel, feet but cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. And then God says this. Those who make them will be like them. And so will all who trust in them. There's a warning, warning here at the end. And the warning is this. Listen, if you worship anything that isn't God himself, it will end with emptiness and eventually destruction. And God himself says, listen, these things you set up to worship are actually gonna be your undoing. The same author, uh, this non-Christian author, David Foster Wallace, he goes on in this speech to, to, as he talks about everyone worships, we just get to choose what we worship. He goes on to say this, pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you, you tap real, the real meaning in life, then, we're, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. You will, if, if it's money, you'll never have enough money. He says, worship your body and beauty and it'll always, you'll always, ready? you'll always feel ugly. You're always pursuing the next beauty thing. He goes on to say, and, the time, uh, and when time and age start showing, because they always do, like, like Father Time is undefeated, he always wins, you will die a million deaths before you finally grieve. Worship power and you will end up feeling weak and afraid and you will need even more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart and you will end up feeling, he says, stupid and a fraud, always feeling on the verge of being found out. But the insidious thing about these forms of worship, he says, is they're unconscious. He calls them, they are our default setting. Our default is to worship. We were created to worship. And if it's not him, then it's anything else we want. And what he says, this is a non-Christian who gets it. What he says is, whatever you worship is actually gonna be the thing that undoes you, that actually ruins you. A few weeks ago, we talked about this. If you remember, if you were here, we talked about idol worship and we talked about worshiping things and we we, uh, we send everyone home with a rock to remind you, right, that, that we don't worship stone or brick or wood, but, but we certainly do have things that we worship. And, and none of us, I'm gonna guess, I'm gonna guess, if I went to your home, you probably, I, 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 it's probably safe bet here, 100%, you probably do not have a figurine set up in your house that you bow down to, that you worship or you pray to, right? I'm gonna guess you don't. There are people currently who do, and I've been in their homes, and I've seen, like, been to, like, of other, like, faith, world religions, and, and like, whoa, you, okay, we really got them. But, but I'm gonna guess you don't. But that does not mean we don't worship idols or worship false gods. 
We don't worship these false gods of like stone that are carved into people. Here's, you know who we worship? We worship celebrities. We really do. Our culture loves celebrities. We got magazines. If you go to, you know, you go to any grocery store, and it is, the aisle is full. Like the, as you're checking out, it's full of magazines about all the new gossip. And man, you know, you know why they put those there? Because they sell a lot of them. Because we want to know. We want to know who's dating who and who broke up with who and who's cheating on who. And it's like, who cares? Well, a lot of us do. A lot of us do. We even created a show called one of the most like, popular shows of all time, American Idol. Not even a shame to talk about it. Like, it's literally in the name. And, and some of it, I don't understand like celebrity worship. I, I get thinking like, you know, oh, wow, that's so-and-so, that's so-and-so. And, and that's, you know, okay, that's interesting. But I think some of it might be this. Some of it might be like when you drive past a car accident, you just got to see it. And you're looking at the lives of people going, they are such a mess. I feel pretty good about myself. And maybe that's some of the allure, or maybe it's sort of the, the, the we just, we really do, really do deep down envy. Man, but if I could have their lifestyle, if I could have their money or their fame or their talent or, or their appeal, or like, man, we really do worship celebrities. Or, or this, I, I, I don't really struggle with like worshiping celebrities. This next one, this, if, there's, if there's one that's gonna get me, it's this one. Sports figures. Did someone already say that? I thought I just heard it. Yeah. How dare you call out my sin in front of everyone else? <laughs> like, we can, you can name a sport and we can name a team and I'd be like, oh, so-and-so. Like, I'll, I'll, we'll go over names and stats. Literally, right after this last service, someone goes, hey, did you hear this person? They were my idol growing up. I'm like, yeah, actually, that's right. And he's like, yeah, they're from Fresno. I said, you're right. That's awesome. That makes them even cooler. And, and, and like, all right, when we talk about sports, like we prop up our athletes very much, right? I mean, we got uh, posters of them. My kids have posters of them on their wall and like, it's great. And, and they're great role models, but man, it very easily gets to a place of like, we, we elevate them to a, a place that even they are uncomfortable with. It's really easy. It's really easy. If you are, uh, we don't really deal with this in Bend, Oregon. We're not really like a big, you know, college football town, um, you know, where Oregon Ducks or Beavers, great. But if you go down south, if you go to like SEC country, it is not like this, it's not football. It's a religion. If, you, if you've ever been, it is, it is a, I mean, you, you're painting yourself, you're worshiping the gods of the field and you got an altar and like, I mean, it's like, okay, this really is. They'll even, they even have cemeteries that you can have your grave plot pointed at the stadium. When you're done, when it's all, and here's the tagline, ready? And they fill up, they fill up because, here, ready? You can be a fan even in death. Yeah, I'm that much of a fan. Man, we, we love sports. Here's another one. This is the bigger one now, much bigger than it was like earlier. Social media, we, we worship the, uh, the experience, the activity, and even those who become famous on social media, like, TikTok, call them influencers or whatever we call them. Like they become sort of these de facto like, like people that we want to be like. And we love, we, we will do things for likes or, or, uh, or views or retweets. I mean, uh, people's entire lives are centered around this. I, and this is so weird for me. Like this is, for younger generations, this is true. This is your life because you've never, you've never not known this. I grew up 
this is, this is, and a lot of you would, would know this to be true as well. Like this is, this is your experience. Um, for younger generations, this is hard to believe. Um, I grew up when there was no internet. I didn't have internet. I didn't have a phone. My, my friend, my, this is the coolest guy I knew. He had two things, two things. And I'm like, this, you, you're so important. He had a pager and dial-up internet. The first to get it, when it first came out. And so we'd go to his house, and he'd be like, hey, you want to get on the internet? What's that? I don't know, but let's get on it. (laughs) You got a computer? Like, our house didn't even have a computer. He's got a computer, and he gets on the internet, right? All right, we open this thing. He double-clicks this icon, AOL. (laughs) You remember remember that? And, and, and all of a sudden, we're online. It, it, like, it does this like, kind of weird code, you know, like, like Morse code. Which I never understood. Like, why, why did it have to have a sound? Couldn't it just be muted? Like, why does it got to play out on my computer? Like, are you, is there a guy literally in there connecting us to the internet? And so we get online. He's like, all right, we're online. Like, what do we do? I don't know. What do you want to do? What can you do? Do you know what you did in the, early, in like the earliest forms? You can only do one thing. Chat rooms. You get on a chat room. You remember it's like instant messenger and you'd be finding complete strangers and talking to them. Meanwhile, there's people in the room you're with and you're like, I'm not talking to you. I'm gonna type to this person who I'll never meet. I don't even care about, but like, what are you doing? What do you like to do for fun? That's crazy. You're like, what is going on? But so we're doing this going, they're responding. This is a real person. And then, and then his mom would get on the phone. Remember this? You get on the phone. Someone gets on the phone to make a call. Boom, drops us off the internet mid-conversation. You know, we're doing this whole thing. And like, Mom, get off the phone. I did, that was us. That was like my upbringing, the, like our introduction to internet. Now, listen, that's like, that sounds like a different world, right? That's, today, like that seems crazy that that was internet. That was the, like the, the epitome of new technology was that. Because today, today, internet is everywhere. Internet is going through us right now, like Wi-Fi. Right now, your phone is connected to the internet right now, following you, spying on you, telling the government everything. No. We joke, we joke, but that's probably true. That's probably true. We, we worship, we worship at the altar of media technological advance, especially social media and and pursuing, like presenting our lives perfectly for everyone else, for the likes and the views. Man, we worship money, right? Another rock, we worship money. We think, we really do think money will fix everything for us. Here's here's how we know this to be true. Okay, ready? Uh, Don't raise your hand. I'm gonna ask you a question. Don't raise your hand unless you really want to, but you know, people might judge you. (laughs) If if I could say this, hey, no questions asked. I'll give you $20,000. Could that help you right now? Right? You'd be like, what? What? Wait, for me? Yeah, that would help a lot. In fact, that would like fix a lot of my problems. That would fix a lot of my problems. I could pay off the debt. I could do this. I could pay for the school. I could do, I could do the thing, pay off the house or get this thing or get the new car or whatever. And you'd spend the money and it'd be wonderful. And then you'd realize, okay, but I need more. That wasn't enough. That really didn't fix everything. You got any more money? Oh. See, the problem with money and worshiping money is it's never enough. It doesn't matter. You, they all ask, like, famously rich people, how much money do you have? And their response, not enough. How much do you, money do you need? 
There's one of, one, of the, on, one of the guys on Shark Tank. If you ever watch Shark Tank, Shark Tank's a great, I, that's like a, just a fun show to watch. Um, I may have purchased uh, a number of things from Shark Tank. Like, <laughs> they suck me in, they suck me in, this is great. And I think Kevin O'Leary, they've asked him, how much money do you need? And he says, just a little bit more. How much money do you need? Just a little bit more. How much do you have? Uh, not enough. Oh, uh, you, have, you have enough money for many lifetimes over, but just a little more, just a little more. We, we really do think money will save us. Here's another one. This is hard, especially on Mother's Day. We worship our children. We do. Not love our children. Of course we love our children, and that's, that's right. We should love our children. But listen, if we're not careful, we can really think that our kids are gonna be the thing that saves us. And not from like danger, like they're not gonna save us from danger, but, but they're gonna be the thing that gives us fulfillment. They're gonna meet this relationship need or this, this, this hole that I have. Or, or they're gonna be the ones to provide for us later. So here's what happens. We put really crazy expectations on our kids that they need to be perfect. Now, we don't have that same expectation for us. In fact, when we make mistakes, hey, please forgive me. Listen, I, I make mistakes. Our kids make mistakes, and it's, don't ever do that again. It's punishment. It really is. We have this weird, like, idea or, or expectation that our kids won't make mistakes, and that if they do, it's our job to discipline it out of them. We can fix them. One of the things that I do... Uh, and my free time is uh, I love to, um, to coach. And so I coach my kids sports, almost like all the kids I've coached something in all various sports, different ages and degrees and, you know, whether it be parks and rec to like actual leagues or whatever. And so I've coached, I've coached a lot. I've coached a lot of teams, a lot of sports. I've had a lot of kids coached. Oh, I, I couldn't even count. I don't even know how many I've coached. And I love it. I love it. And, and I have great kids who are like, you come in and you just, man, you, you're, you are a stud, like you, you're gonna teach me how to play this sport, you're that good. And then I have other kids that I'm going, this is gonna be a struggle getting through the season with you. Like this is gonna be hard, like you're the, you're the one, all right, you're the one. And, and even then, it's not a problem. I love those kids and I'll even tell them, hey, my goal is that you love this sport and when we're done, you're gonna, you're gonna see, I can't wait for the next season. That's my goal, you're gonna love this. I'm like, okay, whatever, no, no, we're gonna do this. I love, I love it. I have no issue with, with, with kids in team sports. I love it. I do have a problem, though, with all of you. <laughs> the parents are easily the worst part of youth sports, easily. And any coach will tell you the same thing. If you've coached anything ever, you know the parents are terrible. A lot of them are good, but it just takes a few. And here's why. They have this expectation that their kid is not only the best, but everyone else should treat them as the best, and they aren't allowed to mess up. If they do, they're in trouble. I've had many, many times where I'm looking at this kid and they're good. They're good at what they're doing. They're good athlete. And the parents are crushing them from, even from the stands, yelling to the point where I'm, man, you could just see it on his face. It's like, oh, I don't want to mess up. Not because I, I want to do good, but because I don't want to get yelled at by dad. I don't want to go home and have to deal with my parents if I miss the shot or I get thrown out or I strike out or I do it wrong. And, and all they care about is not getting in trouble. Oh, the amount of pressure. I've also seen same parents, when their kids get older, they, le they legitimately believe 
their kid will play for the Yankees. And they want you to know, hey, this, I know, I know it's fifth grade Parks and Rec baseball. I know. But listen, this is the first step of many to him buying me a house. <laughs> oh, well, I'm going to be the one to crush your hope here because you're not going to like me. And, and, and there are, I, I know, I know some, I know them by name that, that they really think their kid is going to be the one to go off and to save them. And, to, and, to, and they're investing in their kid. All, and think of all the pressure on their kid, especially when you get to high school, the pressure to become a college athlete and then to go pro and then to make money. Oh, man. We put so much on our children to these expectations that we have for them of what we want their lives to be like. We very, very much can idolize our own children. We worship or idolize success or control and whatever your flavor is, ready? You, your heart is built to worship and you're good at it. And so this first commandment is to say, don't do any, don't put anything else before or in front of me. Don't you dare. We are very good at creating distractions for ourselves to shift our focus from worshiping Yahweh, the one who really deserves our worship. Here's the next thing. God wants your whole heart, not just a piece of it. God wants all of you, not just a little bit of you. The real issue behind worshiping and, and like this idea of worshiping idols is not, is not that God is like proclaiming his insecurity. Or they're just trying to eliminate the competition. Hey, if we just get rid of all of them, then they got to worship me. It isn't God like sitting up on his throne going, oh man, if they don't, I don't know how I'm going to handle this. I just got to make a bunch of rules so that they, I got to make it so that they want, I got to eliminate all the others. It's not at all. God does this because he wants to save us from ourselves, from the heartache that our decisions bring upon ourselves. God is doing this to protect us. It's much like if, you've, um, if you have children or maybe grandchildren or you have nieces or nephews, you've been around children, especially when they're little, and they, they really do need protection. They really do need the safety and security of mom and dad or grandma and grandpa, whoever it may be. And, and when you're in a large area, like we've done this with our kids, like you're in a large, you go to a fair or like we go to sports games and you're wearing the wrong colors, right? Like we're Warriors fans, big time Warriors fans. It was rough. This last series has been rough, if you're following it all. It's rough. But we've been, we've been to, um, to Blazer games, dressed in blue, and in a whole sea of red. And the game's over. We just happened to win, right? It was a playoff game. It was a few years ago. Sorry, Blazer fans. And, and, and I remember, I remember, we're walking out, and people looking at me, saying things, like, how could you? How could you? How could you raise your kids as Warriors fan? I'm going, easy, old lady. Chill out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, and, and we say this to our kids, ready? My, my wife is great at this. She, and anytime we're around somewhere that it could be like potentially dangerous or they could wander off or get snatched, hey, you stay right by me, right? You say that. Hey, you hold my hand, you stay right by me. Don't let go because we're in a crowd, we're staying safe. Now, it would be really awkward and not the right time for the kid to then say, why are you trying to control everything I do? Why are you trying to limit my freedom? What if I want to walk over there? Or what if I want to get, you know, punched by old lady? I could do whatever I want to do, right? Why are you, why are you suffocating me and, and putting all these demands and these rules on me? To which the parent would say, this isn't a rule. This is to keep you safe. I'm doing this for your own good, right? Stay by me because I will protect you. 
from all of these Blazer fans. I will be the one. God, listen, this commandment is that, not the Blazer part, but this is God saying, the reason I don't want you to worship other things is because I'm trying to protect you. I'm trying to keep you close. It's not about control. It's about me saying, I will keep you safe. I want your heart. Look at what he says in Ezekiel chapter 14. He says this, some of the elders of Israel came to me and sat down in front of me. This is Ezekiel writing. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts and put wicked stumbling blocks before their faces. Should I let them inquire of me at all? Should I even listen to them? Because they've, they've decided to worship other things. Therefore, speak to them and tell them, this is what the sovereign Yahweh says. When any of the Israelites set up their idols in their hearts and put a, a wicked stumbling block before their faces and, and then go to a prophet, I, the Lord, I, Yahweh, will answer them myself in keeping with their great idolatry. He says, listen, I'll handle it. Let me take over. For those who are doing this and they, they worship other things and they want to come and get a blessing and want to hear from me, all right, all right, they'll hear from me. It says this, I will do this, verse five, I will do this, here's why, ready? To recapture the hearts of the people of Israel who have all deserted me for their idols. Therefore say to the people of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says, repent, turn from your idols and renounce all your detestable practices. The, the issue here is not, is not that God can't handle someone worshiping something else and he's just, he's just, he's just not, he's just, he just needs everyone for himself. The issue here is he's saying, I wanna recapture your hearts because you've put a stumbling block. You've actually made your life worse by doing this. This thing isn't because God is trying to control or manipulate, but rather he wants our heart. Here's the next thing. That false gods promise us pleasure. In fact, this is true of every false god. This is true of probably every single commercial you ever watch. All advertising is this. Hey, we will fix you. We will help you. We will bring you joy. We will make you, everyone will envy you if you buy this thing or upgrade to that. We will improve your life with this product or this service. False gods always promise us pleasure, but here's the deal, ready? But God promises us something so much greater. He promises us purpose. This is, the, this is rough, okay? A lot of you are going to figure this out the hard way. A lot of us are gonna go the pleasure route. You're going to think that my goal of my life is to be happy and I'll do whatever it takes to make me happy. And in the process, here's what you'll do, ready? You will create all kinds, all kinds of heartache and hardships for yourself, potentially ruining your life, ruining relationships in the process in this pursuit of my own pleasure and happiness. And, and, and for a number of us, for those who are like, get to a point or maybe mature enough and realize, no, 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 life really isn't about pursuing what makes me happy. Though society all says, do what makes you happy. You be you, whatever you gotta do, do that. The mature ones, those who have been, maybe lived a little bit longer, maybe, maybe even experienced some of that pain, you, you realize this, no, 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 the real joy is not in pursuing my own pleasure, it really is when I discover God's purpose for my life, when I live with purpose, something 
changes. All of a sudden, my life, all the things that I do, like it now has meaning behind it. And, and listen, I can tell you this, ready? I don't know of a better word to use for this. It's probably weird to say in church. But purpose is so much more addictive than pleasure. That when you have purpose, your desire to live that out and to fulfill it is so much better and greater than just simply kind of trying to find that next momentary like, like enjoyment of something that will never fulfill. Instead, realizing, man, I, I feel like God has put me on earth for this reason. And I'll do whatever it takes. I'm gonna, I'm gonna live that out. Maybe it's to, to, to be a light in, 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 in your industry where there aren't many lights, to be someone pointing people to the Lord who maybe never ever would. And you're just thinking, all right, my purpose right now, God has put this in my life. My purpose is to share him with as many people as I can, to invite as many people into his kingdom as I can, and, and, to, and to live awesome. I'm telling you, you start living out your purpose, your life changes. It's not about seeking just your own personal enjoyment. Here's what we see, that this practice of idol worship, this is not an Old Testament only issue. The New Testament writes about this. Paul and Peter and John all write about this. Here's what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Therefore, my dear friends, he says, flee from idolatry. Run from it. This can ruin your life. Here's what we see in, in 1 John chapter 5. This is how John, he ends his letter. He writes this letter. He writes three letters. This is the first of three. Hence, it's called 1 John. And he ends this. This is how he concludes it. All right, what's your final words? I mean, 1 John is, is an incredible, incredible little book of the Bible. Our staff, we're going through it right now and, and studying it. It's great. And he ends it. He ends this, this little letter with this. Here's your parting words. What's the last thing you want to say? Literally, the last words. Here it is. Ready? Verse 21. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. What else you got? Nope. That's it. The end. Dear children, my beloved, keep yourself from idols. It's that important for him. And, and, and as the church is starting out, he's like, don't do it. Don't worship anything else. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians, for those who are pursuing pleasure at all costs, he says this, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside of the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. And then he hears why he gives why. You're going like, okay, what does this have to do with idol worship? All right, here it comes, ready? He says this, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you receive from God? Don't you know that your body is literally a temple built for worship? That was the reason for the temple was you would come and that's where you would worship Yahweh. And he says, don't you know that you are a temple now? Your body is a temple. Why? Why would you do anything else but worship God with it? Why would you sin against other people but then sin against yourself? Why would you do this? Your bodies are temples. He says this, you are not your own. Ready? This is the hard truth. You don't belong to yourself now. If you are a follower of Jesus, here's what he says. You were bought at a price. And that price was paid in blood on a cross. And now you've given your life to the Lord. And so he then, he now is in charge. He's a great leader to have in charge. He's the one you want in charge of your life. And he says, so why would you pursue pleasure or worship of anything else? 
Your body's a temple made to worship. He ends by saying, therefore, honor God with your bodies. Honor God with yourselves. Worship God with all of yourself. Here's what we could say. Ready? Instead of pursuing the, the pleasures that overpromise and underdeliver, we should start living for God's purpose. Here it is. Ready? If you remember one thing, don't worship what you want. Worship the one who wants you. Don't worship what you want. That's easy. And everybody does it. And in doing so, you're avoiding the real issue of who God is. Instead, decide I'm going to worship this one who wants me more than anything else, who literally died to pay for my sins to purchase me so I could be with him. How do I do this? I'm so glad you asked. Ready? Here it comes. The answer is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is going to feel very familiar. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. We spent a whole series called the Jesus Creed talking about this very thing, that Jesus, this is the thing that, that is kind of the overarching theme of Jesus' ministry, and it's found here. The answer to this is for you to decide I'm going to choose to worship the Lord with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength. How do I keep myself from worshiping other false gods? It's, it's simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. I focus on worshiping the Lord because everything else, especially in culture today, is going to fight for your attention. Don't worship what you want. Worship the one who wants you. Would you do this? Would you stand with me as we get ready to now sing in our worship of the Lord together? And I'll pray for us. So Lord, will you join me in prayer? So thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you do love us. Thank you that you... These Ten Commandments aren't about rules. It really is about the heart. So Lord, in this series, help us to understand and to, to discover more of you and your heart. Draw our hearts closer to you. Reclaim our hearts. Help us to focus our worship and our, our love and devotion only to you. All the other things that would vie for our attention, Lord, may they become a distant second compared to our devotion and worship of you. We love you, Lord. We sing to you now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
leaders this morning that rather than it just being about the rules, that God's heart behind the rules are for us and that he longs for our heart and to be with us and to love us and to give us purpose. And that reminder is so much bigger than the Ten Commandments, right? It's about God's heart for us. So I'm thankful for that reminder this morning. Happy Mother's Day to the mamas. And don't forget, moms, grab those journals that are at the doors. The ushers will be handing those to you as you leave. So be sure to grab those. Happy Mother's Day and have a great week. We'll see you back here next week.